Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 13 of DBR Bites. Spooky. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. We are recording this right after we recorded the preview for the Syracuse game. So I am joined only by Jason Evans and not by Donald Wine. Jason, what's up, man? Not a lot, man. I'm I'm looking forward. We got some interesting topics to discuss here. Yeah, we 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 have some we have some real bites today. Some real real tiny things. I'm Little still tiny uh, nibbles. Tiny nibbles. Yeah, exactly. I'm uh, as I mentioned on the last episode. If you listened to the last episode, uh, I'm still on painkillers. So uh, give me a break. You know, just uh, just be nice with me. So two topics we're going to cover, and I'm Jason. I'm going to both of us pick topics for the show. Jason, I'm going to let your topic come first. You have taken a look at the numbers on Duke's shooting, particularly at the rim inside the paint this season. And uh, I think coming into the season, maybe let me give you my bias about what I thought was going to happen. And then you're going to tell me how things have not exactly gone that way for Duke. I thought Duke's got a lot of tall trees inside Kyle Filipowski, Derek Lively, Ryan Young coming off the bench, a lot of opportunities for offensive rebounds that should improve efficiency. Duke has Jeremy Roach returning. He's a great driver. If he's healthy this year, then then he is a, a fairly automatic scoring threat, as much of an automatic threat as a relatively small point guard can be. And Duke's got some guys coming in, Tyrese Proctor, uh, Derek Whitehead, Mark Mitchell, who all are pretty athletic and should be able to get to the rim. So what's going on with Duke at the rim this season? So I went ahead and I looked. I, I found a website that specifically has shots at the rim, you know, shots essentially in the restricted circle. And, and Sam, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, this is going to be interesting. Where do you think of all the, t- there are 15 teams in the ACC. Where do you think Duke ranks in terms of shots at the rim total, you know, compared to every other team in the league, total number of shots at the rim or efficiency? No, no, no. Efficiency. Efficiency is the thing I'm, I'm interested in here. Are you, you know, I've had friends on emails and, and texts and the such say like, God, this Duke team, they miss so many layups. They just miss so many shots right in close. People feel like it's way more than usual. So I would think that, look, there are a lot of bad teams in the ACC. So, like, Duke being bottom five in, like, any category is is pretty stunning. But I know that they're not good. So I'm going to say that Duke is, like, eighth in the conference in, in efficiency at shots at the rim. Dude, you're pretty good. We're ninth. Whoa. But but I, that's with the bias of knowing that we're going to talk about how this is a, a huge downer. Yeah, I mean, it's not a huge downer, but it's it's problematic. Let's just put it that way. Duke is ninth in the ACC in terms of number of shots, not number of shots, but percentage of shots we hit at the rim. Duke hits about 64.7% of our shots at the rim. The team that leads the conference is Wake Forest, hitting better than 72% of their shots at the rim. Worst team in the ACC at the rim? Boston College at 60%. Now, the you know, one of the interesting things to me that I noticed when I was mapping out all the ACC teams is that there's no way to say that the ability to hit shots in close is a definitive proof of whether you're a good team or a bad team. I mentioned Wake is number one. Miami is number two. But then Florida State's number three. Louisville is number five. And Louisville sucks. They're terrible. But they're the fifth best team in the ACC in, in shots at the rim. And at the other end, you know, I mentioned BC was last and it'd be easy to go, oh, that, that, you know, that, that makes sense. Teams at the bottom end of hitting shots at the rim are probably not good teams. Well, the two teams that are, and they're both, by the way, really close to BC, Pitt and NC State are 13th and 14th in the ACC. And those two teams are right at the top of the ACC standings. 
So for everyone who kind of grouses and goes, oh, this team's just terrible at the rim, guess what? It's it's not as essential or as defining a stat as you might think. But that said, there's an aspect of this that that I think is significant. I, I looked at three Duke players specifically because the reason, by the way, that Duke isn't awful at the rim is because we got guys like Ryan Young and Derek Lively who basically hit virtually every shot they take. Like Ryan Young hits 80% of his shots at the rim, which is just a crazy number. <laughs> it's just a huge number that Ryan he's, Young- He's pulling up the whole team. It, exactly. That's my point, that Ryan Young is doing- a, And Derek Lively's at like right at 70, just a little under 75%. So those two guys are making a huge difference in what Duke is shooting at the rim. There are some Duke guys who you would think would be a lot better. Like, let me give you one of them. Kyle Filipowski, 7-1, almost always matched against someone considerably smaller than him. Kyle Filipowski's numbers at the rim, he's just hitting 60.8%, just 60% of his shots at the rim. I went ahead and I looked at similar kind of players, guys mostly in the ACC, but also nationally, um, to see if I could find someone who shoots worse than Kyle Filipowski's 60% at the rim. And Sam, I got news for you. There, there ain't many of them. I mean, like, I, go go ahead and name like a big man in the ACC, and I'm going to tell you what he shoots uh, at the rim. Armando Baycott. Okay, Armando Baycott's at 67 percent at the rim. Hey, Hunter Tyson, 68. PJ Hall, 69. Justin Mutz, 71. Nate Lashevsky, 75. Andrew Carr of Wake Forest, 79 percent at the rim. Jordan Miller of Miami, 73 percent. There, there are very, very few. In fact, the only like, you know, good big man, so to speak, power forward center type like Kyle Filipowski that I could find who shoots as poorly as Kyle Filipowski does at the rim is uh, Grant Basile or Basile or whatever you pronounce his name. I can't um, remember anymore. Yeah. Uh, for Virginia Tech, who, who's at just, a, you know, a couple, t he's at 59.8%, just a tiny bit less than Filipowski. Basically, every other big man that I looked at in the ACC is ahead of him in terms of, oh, the only one, sorry, there's one more, Pete Nance of UNC. But he he, he doesn't shoot any shots at the rim. Like, he's taken an incredibly small number of shots at the rim. He basically stands on the perimeter and shoots long-distance shots. So it almost doesn't count. I did, in the course of my research, found someone else who's sort of similar to Kyle Filipowski, you know, a guy who's got decent size, who's shooting less than 60% at the rim. His name is Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell. Oh, no. Yeah, sorry. Mark Mitchell's just hitting 58% of his shots at the rim. Th these are very, very troublesome numbers for these guys. And so then I dug a little bit deeper into the Duke roster. You ready for Jeremy Roach's number? Oh, I don't want to hear it. It's going to make me sad. 55%. Yeah, that's not great. When Jeremy Roach gets to the rim, he only converts at 55% of the time. Let's, let's talk about some other guys in the ACC. R.J. Davis is close to 70%. Isaiah Wong's at 60, 64%. Tyree Appleby's at 68%. There's just not a lot of guys. Jamarius Burton's at 65%. Jeremy Roach's number. So Caleb Love's at 60. So that's just a little bit better than Jeremy Roach. Um, Reese Beekman's like at the same number at 55%. But I mean, Virginia, they don't even care about score. It doesn't matter how you score. Reese Beekman, all they care about is his defense there. They're just, again, there are very, very few prominent guards in the ACC who shoot as poorly at the rim as Jeremy Roach does. 
So basically, in Roach and Filipowski, you have the two guys on Duke have the highest usage rates. Those are the guys who are taking the most shots. And when they get closest to the basket, both of those guys are among the worst players at their position in the ACC in terms of their shooting percentage at the rim. It's amazing how Kyle Filipowski is having such a remarkable season, like one of the best freshman seasons that we've seen at Duke. And we've seen a lot of great recent freshman seasons at Duke. And he's really not that efficient of a scorer, uh, no. incredibly. And and the Duke team overall, you know, you're you're talking about the the points in the paint. Duke is also not shooting the ball great this year. Basically, the whole offense this year, in terms of you know creating points, it's all just offensive rebounding uh, and and giving giving themselves extra extra attempts, and then and then getting fouled and and taking free throws. Where Duke is actually pretty good. Uh, but otherwise, it's it, it's been a rough go of it, which is why Duke's offense is is rated so poorly. Yeah. Hey, why don't you move? Up? I gave everybody a bunch of numbers. Why don't you give them a bunch of theory? Let's let's talk a little about your story. Yeah. So uh, the the thing I wanted to highlight, which is a totally different topic, uh, was an article in the Athletic by Tobias Bass, who uh, is you know he's, it's not Brendan Marks, it's not the guy we're we're usually talking about when we when we mention stuff from the Athletic, and and this isn't. Uh, particularly a Duke thing, but I thought it was interesting to highlight and, you know, maybe, maybe gives folks a, an opportunity to go read something. Uh, but Tobias Bass wrote an article uh, that came out a few days ago, looking at the impact of the transfer portal on high school recruiting. Now we talk about the transfer portal being interesting from the perspective of coaches are always trying to recruit, you know, they're always having to re-recruit their own rosters. Um, they're always thinking about recruiting and there's always opportunities to upgrade with guys who are coming from other schools. And if you're Duke looking at guys who are coming from like other high majors, not just, not just mid-major programs. Now there's a lot of numbers in here that are, that are pretty interesting in terms of sort of the success rate of, of transfers, but the bigger point that Tobias Bass mentions and, and, and one that I want to sort of highlight here, that's something that Duke fans should think about. Uh, he mentions that there were 1,700 men's college basketball players who put their names in the transfer portal last year, which tells you, I mean, that that's a lot, right? It used to be b- b- before you could just transfer freely, uh, maybe only a, you know, a couple hundred guys a year would, would transfer schools. They'd have to sit out. It was a whole to do. And it was typically not something that big time programs looked for as a, as a way to recruit players. But what, uh, what the writer here highlights, he asks, is this the coincidence or a new trend? And I'm going to get to the high school aspect of it, of this now. He says a major reason for this change is that college coaches no longer value high school players the same way they used to. They would rather, quote, stay old by landing players through the transfer portal instead. Why get a player you have to wait to develop and adjust to college life when you can get someone who has already been through that process? Now, this is what's interesting, I think, for Duke fans. Duke is not going to stop recruiting five-star guys. John Shire is very good at it. And, and, you know, despite some of the challenges this year and despite the challenges with some of the guys in recent years, John Shire has demonstrated this is one of the ways that he likes building the roster. However, well, Sam, I was going to say the article makes the point that, you know, if you're talking about McDonald's All-Americans, if you're talking about guys who are, you know, top 40, top 30 kind of recruits, every t- every program still wants guys with that kind of talent. The article is really but, talking about guys like outside the top 50, top 100. The, the, right. This is where the uh, th- this is where it's now becoming challenging for high school players and where you're seeing a lot more mid-majors get guys who are in 
who are in the the top 50. And, and it feels like this is a trend that is continuing because you can either get a four-star recruit or you can get Ryan Young. And, and if you ask Duke fans today, like, you know, who would, who are the biggest pickups for Duke this season? It's, I think it's Kyle Filipowski one. He was a top five recruit. And then it's Ryan Young, who was not a, a top five recruit. He was not considered a, a premium player when he went and committed to Northwestern and has been one of the most productive players for Duke at both ends of the court this season. So, I I mean, look, you're, I I think uh, Tyrese Proctor and Derek Lively might have something to say about that. And Derek Whitehead, but, but the bottom line is your point, even if it doesn't necessarily exactly apply to Duke, certainly applies to a lot of other programs. And, And look, the one to talk about the most is, you know, a program like a Miami or especially like a Wake Forest. Wake Forest may be about to have back-to-back ACC players of the year from guys that they pulled out of the portal in Tyree Appleby. And and the other part of this that's interesting that he highlights in the article is how high school players are now committing earlier because, you know, the portal season, I think, used to be when, when, when not, I don't think that, that recruiting transfers was ever taboo, but it was certainly looked on as like, as a secondary recruiting form. And you'd only start thinking about it in April, like after the season was over and it was like, Oh, I got to, I got to plug a hole. And this guy like happens to be available. We have the right graduate program for him. Now guys are talking about it earlier in the year. And so the conversation in the article is about how some of these high school players, if you're a high school player, if you're a four-star who's in the back half of the top 100, you are trying to commit before your senior year because once that season starts, the college coaches are looking around at, at who might be available and who's having who's having good seasons in the in the mid major ranks or in the low high major ranks that might want to upgrade for next year. It is it is transfer you know the, the transfer portal is not open so to say right at, at this moment in mid February, but you know that coaches are looking around at at who's playing well and are thinking all right who's going to be who's going to be looking for that upgrade next season. So if you're a high school player who's who's not sure where you're going yet you have to lock down that scholarship earlier than you used to. And so you're seeing uh, more high school players commit earlier in the, in the cycle. Now, the interesting thing, again, I want to take this back to Duke a little bit. Interesting thing for Duke is that Duke is usually able to convert most of the guys that they recruit. And in recent years, it feels like Duke has, has come on later to a lot of, of big players, not clear that they can get away with that, with with everybody because now there are guys who will be who will be already committed and and locked into you know they, they might not be going to a to another blue blood but they're like you know what Virginia Tech already recruited me they were talking to me junior year and I'm I'm in with them so that's that's the plan or I'm you know I'm I'm committed to insert your other sort of middling uh, program I, I'm I'm committed to Penn State I'm committed to wherever it is so uh, it's an interesting article I I think folks should go check it out. Yeah. And it has, a, you already mentioned, there's a ton of stats in it. There's a ton of numbers, comparisons of how different guys do, but you, you don't need to look very far in the ACC to find programs who have been hugely, hugely impacted by the portal. I mean, Pitt, Pittsburgh, I, I think Pitt has as good a chance of anybody of winning the ACC this, this season. Um, I, I know that a lot of people may favor Virginia, but I, I actually think Pitt is right in there, um, right with them. Jamarius Burton, Blake Hinson, Nellie Cummings, arguably their three best players this year are all guys who came in through the portal. Um, uh, Bert, I think Burton came in two years ago, but but Hinson and Cummings, they're 
first year players in the pit program out of, you know, just out of the blue, these guys have turned pit into a team that was projected to be 13th in the ACC. And instead is sitting right now tied for first place. And, you know, we've talked about it at so many different, even Clemson, which is a program that was just full of guys who were returning to that Clemson program. They brought in Brevin Galloway, who's a, a key, huge player for them uh, through the transfer portal. And it's, it's a way that programs are able to, you mentioned this, this is the most important thing, stay old. There's just a huge, especially with the extra COVID year that a lot of guys have. Duke with their freshmen has 18 and 19 year olds and we're playing against teams with 23 and even 24 year olds. And, yeah, and it's like, it's common. That's like not unusual. It there, there was a time when you were like, oh, this team has a guy who's 22, 23. You're like, oh, that, that's worth highlighting. Now a 23-year-old is like the average – like the average Notre Dame player is 23, I think. It's crazy. The COVID year also adds a, a huge level of complication to this because at the end of the COVID season, they said, oh, guys who guys who got their season – you know, everybody who was playing college basketball gets at, an extra during, year. Yeah. during COVID gets an extra year, which is great for the opportunities to play more, And but – it's having uh, two interesting consequences. One is uh, all the counting records are all getting demolished by by yeah. guys who who are getting these extra years. But then the other thing is that it's taking up roster spots because there aren't, you know, even if not not every school can afford to to be carrying this many players, and they and they have scholarship limits. So guys who normally sort of on on talent, you would think, oh, these are high major players, are now getting pushed down to lower levels, and so that will will go away eventually in a couple of years when there aren't any more of these COVID year players, but uh, you're still seeing sort of the, the, the change in the way that coaches approach recruiting. All right. I think that's, that's the commentary on this. I think it's good discussion. Thank you, Jason, for indulging me in that. And thank you for bringing us the stats on Duke at the rim. Hopefully the blue devils are able to turn that around a little bit here at the end of the regular season. Uh, we are looking forward to that Syracuse game and we'll be back when that is over to wrap it up. So for Jason Evans, who's here for Donald wine, who is not, I am Sam Klein. This has been DBR bites episode 13 Duke band. Take us home. Can I tell you, that when I look up a guy that says he's from Maryland and his name is Judah Mintz, I really thought Syracuse had a Jewish player on their team. <laughs> and uh, he's not. Not yeah. Jewish, turns out. Not not a lot of uh, Jewish guys in college basketball these days. Not John Shire. Not, true, true. Not in Absolutely. college basketball. He's yeah. coaching in it. So Judah Mintz, not Jewish. Mm-hmm.